episode 178, The Evolving Role of the CIO, Chief Information Officer. Today, I speak with Sue Shade, Principal over at Starbridge Advisors. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Chief information officers, CIOs in healthcare, are not just the computer people anymore. Technology is no longer relegated to the category of operational overhead. Technology is now a strategic imperative. It's a competitive advantage. It's a driver of success in today's connected era, an era increasingly dependent on outcomes-based revenue also. On the other hand, when something goes wrong, technology often gets blamed, even if it's not the real problem. The real problem could just as likely be a shabby process or insufficient training. Today, I have a candid conversation with Sue Shade from Starbridge Advisors about the what and how of being a CIO. Sue is the perfect person to have had this conversation with because she's had the opportunity to serve in the role of CIO or interim CIO at four health systems in four geographies with four different cultures and four different leadership teams. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Sue. It's a pleasure to be here, Stacey. I'm super excited to speak with you because obviously having tenure across four organizations in a relatively short period of time definitely gives you a perspective that very few individuals have to really see clearly what the challenges are that are unique and not unique. What are the most common kinds of, let's just say, fire drills or the big categories where trouble tends to come from? Great starting point. And if I can just clarify, I have been in the past two years in two organizations as an interim chief information officer or CIO. And then prior to that, I had permanent roles at two different organizations. I was at University of Michigan Health System as the CIO for the hospitals and health centers for three plus years. And then prior to that, I served at Brigham Women's Hospital, part of Partners Healthcare in Boston as their CIO for almost 13 years. So I left there in late 12, went to Michigan, left there two years ago to go down a path of doing consulting and interim management and leadership coaching. And in that last two years, I've done two interims. So just to clarify, I have in a little over a five-year span, yes, experience in four different organizations. So it gives me a particular vantage point. Didn't want to make it sound like I was some kind of job hopper (laughs) in terms of what that that path has been. So to answer your question in terms of the common kinds of fire drills, if you will, and issues that organizations run into, I have a couple. We can talk about what you do about it as well. I think a big initial one when you go into an organization is to look at the alignment between IT and the executive team. You know, is IT a black box? Is IT doing a whole bunch of stuff? that the executive team doesn't know about, doesn't support, hasn't prioritized, or is there really good alignment between the IT leadership team and the executive team? That's critical. Another one is service. And this is your basic customer service management. IT is a service department to the rest of the organization. And because 
technology is pervasive, IT really is supporting every part of the organization. So how's the service? And we can get into the drivers behind making sure the service is good. Another key area is the infrastructure. Is the infrastructure stable and reliable? Or are there a lot of unscheduled downtimes? Are there a lot of performance issues? Another area would be security. I think when you first go into an organization, you really want to understand in this day of heightened cybersecurity activity and heightened risk, how strong is the security program? What's the maturity level for the organization? How strong is the uh, security team? Is there a chief information security officer or a clear leader who owns security? How, how strong are they? So it's another area. And then you might think that I would have mentioned this first, and that's the application area. In the last you know, several years, and particularly with meaningful use, organizations have upgraded or replaced or put in for the first time new core electronic health records and everything that goes with that. You might have a really happy organization that it went well, that they're really happy with the vendor and the product, or it didn't go so well. You know, they got concerns and questions about the product. They're not using it to its fullest. So really looking at the optimization component in the EHR space is something that you need to look at going into an organization. So those would be off the top of my head, kind of five big areas that could cause problems that would need to be assessed very early on. So we've got alignment between IT and the exec team, how well IT services the rest of the organization, number three, infrastructure, making sure it's stable and reliable, four, security, five, application area, EHR, optimization. Correct. Good summary. <laughs> Thank you. I take good notes. In the past, it has often been seen or seen as the role of IT, as you said, sort of servicing the rest of the organization, but not necessarily part of the strategy. And now, really, IT at this juncture has the opportunity to really be a partner in what the strategy is and, and kind of must be. You know, like if the IT team is order taking mm -hmm. and not necessarily being a true cog in the wheel that develops that strategy, then mm -hmm. I'm sure untoward consequences can occur, let's just say less than optimal. Have you seen an evolution there or, or do you agree with me? Totally agree with you. And there's definitely an evolution. Unfortunately, not every organization is there. I think there are organizations that still don't know how to work with IT and the IT leader, the CIO, may want them to focus just on keep things running and the operational piece, the order taker aspect, as you say, and don't recognize the value of IT, the value of that leader in terms of being at the table, being in the strategic conversations. I truly think it's changing. And for the most part, organizations are there. They can't not be there <laughs> uh, considering how pervasive technology is and how dependent on technology they are. So I'm optimistic that it's going to continue to evolve in the way that it should and that the C-suite leaders will recognize that. And at the same time, that CIOs will recognize the new roles that they have, that they can't just be techie running operations. They've really got to be a strategic partner to the organization's leadership and a forward thinker. I mean, I always talk about there's a balance between strategy and operations. It's not all one or the other. Clearly, you have to, as a CIO, be really good at operations and have a really good team under you. Because if you do have performance issues, if you do have poor service, 
if everybody's upset with the product and you're not doing anything about it, you do not have the credibility to effectively sit, quote unquote, at the table and be in the strategic conversations. So it's important that you have that done and done well in order to really play that strategic role. And let's talk about that a bit, that this balance and then also the ensuring that the team under you understands the evolving role. And I Mm -hmm. say this because I've been in plenty of conversations where there is this striking intangible gap between the strategy and intent and the programming component that the programmer kind of isn't understanding what the strategy is or what the end game is or what good patient centeredness, you know, looks like what's going to make it easy, the kind of UX UI. And therefore, it's easy to go barreling down a wrong path or make errors that seem like they shouldn't have been made. And it just it's a hard skill, I know, to not only understand all the technology, but then also understand what the strategic end game is. Do you have any advice or tips? You know, if you are a CIO or you are a CEO or, or any sort of leader in an organization, how do you fold all these bits together? One of the things that I feel is extremely critical is good IT governance. And when I talk about IT governance, that includes reviewing all the major initiatives, having a relative priority for those initiatives, because if you can't get them all done at one time, where should you be focusing? And having executive sponsors for your major initiatives and clear business owners. I've gone into organizations in interim situations where, you know, as you start kind of peeling back the layers of what's going on, what people are complaining about and what's not quite right, you find out that there's people working on IT project in a vacuum. It's like, well, okay, who's your sponsor? Mm, I don't know. I don't know who the sponsor is. Okay. Who told you that that was important to work on? Um, you know, someone in IT. Well, wait a second. (laughs) From a business perspective, we need to know who's asked for that, who is supporting that we're using resources to get it done. And I'm always big on, I mean, even if you're not expending capital, but you're using your employee base to get a project done, you're spending money, right? They're on your payroll and that's what they're working on. They're not working on something else. So Mm -hmm. you want to know who's behind it, who asked for it, who's helping provide direction from the business perspective on what it should look like and where does it fit in the relative priorities. And if you don't have that, then you got a whole lot of, you know, work going on that back to the alignment point is not aligned with the organization's strategy and priorities. Is there a cultural component here? Have you seen variances in culture between these organizations, which may have implications on whether what you just said can actually happen or happen in a way that's not painful? Definitely culture comes into play. When IT staff say, you know, the culture is we don't say no to anything. We have to say yes to everything. Anybody who asks us to do something. It's like, wait a minute, that's kind of that order taker mentality, right? And I don't want to get it confused with a good service mentality because customer service is critical, but customer service, how we deliver, how we respond to people as internal customers, but in the context of being appropriately aligned. If you're not appropriately aligned and you don't have good governance, IT staff can be working on a whole lot of little projects that at the end of the day 
aren't necessarily the right ones to be doing, but they're appearing to be providing good service because they said yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty unrealistic to think that we can provide, any organization can provide unlimited service with limited right. resources. So something's going to exactly. fall off the back of the bus. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The demand is always ahead of the supply within IT. It's, it's like an insatiable demand. You know, that's good as things continue to evolve and the needs are there, but you have to have that alignment and uh, appropriate levels of governance in terms of, you know, managing what, what should be worked on when. So how do you attain that priority order list? Because obviously there's a lot of people, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen here and you really need to gain consensus. So if you've got two departments who desperately need something and like, how do you decide which one is priority? Well, it's interesting because one of the organizations that where I served as a interim CIO was hungry for good governance or some form of governance. And that was true on both the C-suite side of the discussion as well as the IT leaders side of the discussion because IT was frustrated. They're asking us to do all these things, but we can't possibly deal with them all. They don't even realize everything that's on our plate. C-suite's going, you know, what exactly is going on? And it feels a little bit of a black box. So this was actually an amazing example that I heard they needed IT governance when I got there. And within, I want to say, three weeks of my interim tenure, we had our first executive level governance meeting where we even had the CEO there. He actually was willing to repurpose another leadership meeting to have that first meeting. You know, I thought, wow. You all said you need governance and you are so ready. Let's just get going. Part of what we needed to do at that organization was make all the work visible in a way that they could understand that these are all the initiatives in the different functional areas, VPs of IT that worked for me. They've been asked to do, here's where they're at, here's why they've been asked to do them, and just raise that up from a visibility perspective to the C-suite who could start asking some questions and providing some confirmation in some cases, and in other cases, some different direction. Like, put that one low on the list. And here's something that you need to, from an alignment with our strategy perspective, have higher on the list. I think organizations got to be ready for it. And you got to do the hard work of forming the governance structure and the processes and then just start making all the work visible. Yeah. And also the hard work of, you know, somebody's got to be the bad guy and say, all right, you know, we're going to prioritize these. So it really has to be your organization leadership that is making those decisions not IT. We weigh in, certainly, and we help evaluate, uh, here's what it's going to take, here's what, in working with the business sponsor and owner, we think the benefits are going to be, here's some of the risks and challenges to getting it done, here's how long it's going to take, et cetera, et cetera, here's what it's going to cost. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's the business that has to say, yes, go forward with that. So when you came out of that committee meeting, was the deliverable a list? Like it literally was a list? Like this is what we're going to do first, this is what we're going to do second? Not out of the first meeting. (laughs) There was a lot of work that had to be done to raise the visibility and share with them what all the initiatives were and why we were doing them. And it also must be difficult, you know, like, so say you're working on something which is very operational. For someone who's not in IT, I could see that it would be a struggle to understand what are the implications of whether we do it or don't do it. 
you know, or how do you balance short term and long term? Like if you you can easily not do something in certain right. cases, but then right. two years from now, you know, like they say, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time <laughs> is today. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you get yeah, yourself into yeah. that kind of situation. Those are great questions, Stacy. The impact of not doing something that's requested needs to be part of your process. So you have some kind of form that your business owner requester works with the IT contact person to put together to say, this is what we're asking for. Here's why. Here's when we need it. Here's how we're doing things now. Here's why that doesn't work anymore. You know, and one of the questions has to be, okay, we got it. Sounds like a good idea. We get the need, but what if we can't do it? What's the impact? Are there alternatives? I mean, that's just critical for teeing up to leaders who have to make decisions and and choices because oftentimes, and I've seen over the years in multiple organizations, technology is viewed often as the first and only solution. And when you kind of dig in, you go, wait a second, it looks like the way you're doing this and the process or something else needs to be changed before you'd even think about doing a technology solution. So you really have to look at it broadly and holistically. I will quote one of my bosses when I was at Brigham Women's Hospital. I was a CIO. She was the COO, a wonderful person to work for. I remember her looking at me saying, Sue, we've never seen a good idea we don't like, which was a way of saying, <laughs> it all looks good. You know, we want you to do all of it, but we understand we'll work with you and we'll help you make the choices. <laughs> Back to that governance, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I can envision exactly what you're saying that, you know, there's a problem anywhere with anything. And suddenly it is perceived that the root cause is something to do with technology as opposed to, as you just said, the process is insufficient or any number of other things. And the worst thing to do is to pave a cow path. Mm -hmm. So you just make your inefficiency really efficient. Right. Is there any particular examples of that? Or, you know, once again, these are hard conversations to have in a very politicized environment. Like, you know, I can't fix your problem. It's your problem, not mine. So I think I saw more examples of that when I was at Brigham and Women's, where we had a internally developed or homegrown, whatever you want to call it, system. The core EHR system was developed by us and as part of partners. There was kind of an endless set of requests to customize it, to do one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. I think in reviewing those kinds of requests is where we often got into, wait a second, is there an alternative to just asking the system to do one more thing that maybe doesn't have that great an impact or maybe could be handled another way? So I think that's where I saw a lot of that. I think broadly speaking, a lot of the requests beyond the core systems are to really bring technology in and to automate functions that have been, you know, manual and it's and time's up on it. It's like, <laughs> okay, it, it, it's clunky. It's, it's labor intensive. Can we bring in uh, functionality that can automate, streamline and improve this? So you're not saying no to them as much as you are saying yes or yes, but not now because of, you know, where does it fit in the priorities, if you will? Does that make sense? Totally. Talking about solving these challenges, these things which you just mentioned, how does a CIO across the various organizations that you worked with, is there some sort of common thread or, or differences relative to how you would pick perhaps an outside vendor to work with or how you're choosing to solve those issues? 
The way I like to look at it is that let's stay in the clinical and revenue cycle framework for a second in terms of your core EHR and all the functionality. The way I like to look at it is that if you've got a core EHR vendor that's got a real breadth of functionality and capability, then that is your go-to when you need something new. It's kind of a rule-out situation. Let's just use Epic, for example, okay? So some new department within the organization, new functions needed. You start with, can Epic do it? Is it on Epic's roadmap in the next, you know, if they can't do it today or they've got a module, but your users don't think it's robust enough or sophisticated enough yet, you know, what does their roadmap look like in the next 12 to 18 months? And and you kind of do a rule out thing and say, okay, they're going to have it. They have it. It's going to be better. They're going to have it. We'll wait. We'll do it with the core. Or you come out of that with a nowhere on their roadmap. Don't have it now. Not even thinking about it. They're not going to do it. Then you look at, okay, who are the niche players in the marketplace that are solving this problem and evaluate them and how could they integrate with your core system? The third layer would be your core vendors not doing it. There aren't niche players because you as an organization are so far ahead of the market in terms of what you're trying to do and what you're thinking about doing here with technology that you need to do it yourself. You need to develop it yourself. And then you go down that path. But I don't like to go backwards, if you will. I don't want people to start with, well, we have to develop it. Well, are you sure? There's a lot of products on the market. And you also don't want them to to start looking at a whole bunch of niche products when your core vendor is in a position to deliver it for you in a much more integrated way with your core systems. And when you talk about in a much more integrated way, what you're really talking about is workflow, that it could be a much more seamless workflow for your end users if it's part of your core product. Speaking of niche players who aren't core vendors, the next question, which always comes up is, data governance. So if you've got a niche solution that requires, you know, and this comes up a lot with population health management, there's a lot of data that's required in order to, especially as we move, and this is a whole other avenue, which I would like to pursue in a sec, this this trend from volume to value. But as we move into this value world, more data is required and data coming from all different directions. So you've got some that's in the HR, you've got some that maybe the niche players, the the niche vendors collecting, you've got the patients busy reporting their outcomes. And then the next thing that pops up is, okay, we've got it in some warehouse somewhere. How does the physician get it at the point of care? If everything's in the EHR, then everything's available at the point of care. But as soon as you start adding additional sources of data, now you've got all these integration challenges. Is there any sort of way or methodology that you have seen might be effective to sort of sort this out? I'm sure there are methodologies out there. I can't tell you specifics, but we've been talking about governance, which is really overall overarching IT governance around the strategy, the projects, the initiatives. What we can get into now is the point around data governance, which is different, and it involves different people. I think many organizations are just starting to address the need for data governance as they get more heavily into analytics and true data warehouses and are really trying to mine the information that is in these core systems that they've been working so hard the past few years to, <laughs> to implement. 
data governance, master data management, MDM, all buzzwords are things that organizations are addressing now. It's typically driven by the person who, if not the CIO, then the person who owns the whole data warehouse analytics component within the IT organization or outside the IT organization. The notion of data stewards, people who own different parts of the different domains, if you will. So a data steward for the financial information, data steward for the clinical information in an academic medical center, a data steward for the research information. And these need to be high-level people who are working with IT and others to help define and manage what's the data that they need. So you have one source of truth, how's it defined, what systems it's used in, etc. And then obviously that would have to intersect back with your last point, which is the EHR system, or does it? Can data live by itself? And then as we just talked about, technology is not necessarily the only solution. You know, if it's not in the EHR, is there other ways to get the right information to the right people at the right time from those data warehouses? Complicated question. I'm famous for those. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I'm just I mean I'm just thinking back to some of my experience without naming specific organizations. I was in a situation where we had a lot of challenges between those in IT who owned the core data warehouse and were trying to manage that, provide information, etc., and a group outside of IT that kind of didn't want to work with the group in IT and wanted to go on their own track with it. And at the end of the day, the data is the organization's asset. And if you have to go up to the top of the organization, the CEO, to say, we need to address this, and we've got too many groups within this organization that think they own their own data and only, we've got an issue. So you really have to, on data governance, I would say just like your overall IT governance, have to have the understanding and the support and potentially the engagement from the top of the organization. Or you can have all sorts of data fiefdoms. That doesn't serve anybody well. That's uh, funny in a way if you think about it, that (laughs) the problem is not just who owns the data, i.e. the provider or the payer or the patient, but it's also, as you just said, it's not only an, an inter-organization issue, it's actually an intra-organization issue. Oh, right, right. And if you can't get it right intra, then you're going to have that much harder time sharing data inter with other organizations. Oh, yeah. And from a risk perspective, a security perspective, privacy, you've got to have it right internally. Ideally, you've got the policies and processes in place and a level of centralization on data that is exiting the organization. You can't be porous and have data exiting from all sorts of different sources. You really, you really need to know, you know, what kind of data is leaving the organization for what purposes. There's much opportunity in this area as I just think about the organizations I've been (laughs) in and organizations I know of, but there are organizations that are making good progress and, and will, you know, lead the way into each other's. So any executives who are listening to this should not be frightened off. But if this applies to their organization, you know, stop and think about what steps they need to take to rectify it. Probably also a really good segue, speaking of sharing data between organizations, into value and the value-based, bundle-based, risk-based kinds of Uh, reimbursement that is well on its way at this Uh point. I mean, we're somewhere in the middle of the curve here. 
Does IT get caught in the crossfire of volume to value in a significant way? Well, I wouldn't quite characterize it as crossfire. And, you know, as I said earlier, I mean, IT is pervasive within an organization. Let's just talk about population health and accountable care organizations. The, the, the people on the business and clinical side for organizations who are driving those efforts cannot do that in a vacuum without assistance from their IT partners. Those efforts are only going to be successful if the right information is available within the core systems and is available to share uh, and roll up, you know, share with other organizations and roll up into the kind of summary information that they need to make broad decisions as well as the information that clinicians need to care for patients across different kinds of care settings. So IT has to be foundational in all that work. I've seen in organizations where it's not to the extent that it needs to be, and those initiatives get started and I think and and IT is not involved. One thing that happens is you think about the business of healthcare and the constant change. If the C-suite and leaders of new areas within healthcare organizations think that IT doesn't have the time and is so busy on some basics that they won't be able to help them and they go off without IT, they're just going to be coming back you know, later and saying, I need your help. Better to start right up front, align with your IT leadership on who's going to support these initiatives and what's it going to take to support them. So we haven't talked about mergers and acquisitions. So what do you have to say about that whole giant topic? Again, I would say that IT is pervasive and you're dealing with a lot of core functionality in the organizations that are merging together or in the more dominant organization that is acquiring maybe a smaller organization. You know, at one point in time, there might have been the thinking that you do a rip and replace and you all get on the same system and you get on it as soon as you can. You know, with the investments that have been made in IT, that's not necessarily where you should start. So I think you have to look at what are the different systems? Are there some to be replaced at the appropriate time, maybe depending on when the product's made sunset or the contract's up or whatever, because there's always costs to get out of contracts. And in the meantime, or in the long term, how do you integrate those products? There are a lot of new vendors on the market that focus on systems integration in some very new and exciting ways in terms of the technology. So I think there's there's definitely options for organizations before they think they have to just get on, on the same system. You know, the other thing I would say about that is through mergers and acquisitions, if your focus is on let's replace, talk it on the same, you lose time and opportunity for other work that might be important to even why you're doing the merger. <laughs> so if you're trying to have, oh, if you're trying to streamline, if you're trying to have a better, more integrated patient facing solution for your patients in a larger geographic area, you're going to have to spend some, you know, time and focus on that. And if you're focusing only on what do you need to do with the core systems, are you going to be able to get to that? solutions in terms of digital health, telehealth might come into play depending on the dynamics of the merger and the geographies, et cetera, leveraging specialists at, you know, core academic medical centers for rural hospitals that have become part of them. So if you want to get to some of that new, new stuff that you're really going to benefit from as part of the IT component of the merger, I think you really need to look at how much do you invest in terms of the core? At the same time, 
from a cost-cutting, cost-reduction perspective of a merger, you do probably want to look at the core and how much duplication do you have and how many licenses do you have? <laughs> how many people do you have supporting the same thing? So you got to look at all levels, the core, what you do with it, level of integration, you're trying to achieve how you can achieve it, and one of the new initiatives that you want to try to pursue and leverage with technology. So it's really multifaceted uh, from an IT perspective. It is a tangled web we weave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) So if someone is interested in speaking with you further, Sue, where would you direct them? I'll start with, they can check out our website at starbridgeadvisors.com. We as a firm, as well as me personally, are very active on uh, social media. And, you know, consider reading our blog or subscribing to it. You can easily find it at sueshade.com. I thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Sue. You are welcome. It's been a pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.